0: Welcome to the circular future. How we move stuff has a carbon impact, but did you know how much When we look at Canada's overall emissions, the transportation sector is actually the second largest emitter of CO2E, that's carbon dioxide equivalent, at 25% of our national emissions. Only the oil and gas sector is higher, at 26% of the total. It's largely because we're moving ourselves and things around a lot more than we ever used to. As a result, annual transportation emissions in Canada have increased by more than 30% between 1990 and 2021. And what's the fastest growing portion of these transportation emissions? Freight trucks. The story is partly told due to more trade than ever before, and trucking is more carbon intense than most other modes of transport. There's also factors like the increase in population, more international supply chains, Heck, more online shopping. Is this a part of the circular future? So with transportation emissions playing such a big role in our overall emissions, is it the same for companies and their emissions? For a lot of businesses, yes. The transportation of their product is a large portion of their emissions through their fleet or third-party vehicles. At Quantum, it's no different. So we asked ourselves, what's the most carbon-efficient way to move electronics and e-waste between our facilities across Canada? And by how much? The idea to run a transportation case study on the emissions each mode produced came out of the questions we were asking ourselves internally. If we took a full load of electronics which we estimate to be 50,000 pounds or 22.6 tons, and we shipped it from our Edmonton, Alberta facility to our Toronto, Ontario facility, what are the emissions by different modes of transportation? We wanted to look at the options. Quantum primarily uses rail today, and we knew theoretically it was more efficient than a 53-foot transport truck, but by how much? And EV semis are just starting to come online too. Should we be thinking about investing in electric transport trucks? We decided to get the help of Sustainability Leadership, whom Quantum is a member of, and have them run a case study for us. The results, frankly, were surprising. And I've got Rafiq Danji, the Executive Director of Sustainability Leadership, here with me. Rafiq has over a decade of project and relationship management experience with a deep passion for sustainability. He has given a flagship TEDx talk on how businesses can incorporate sustainability into their operations without increasing costs. He lives by the philosophy, leave your environment in a better condition than when you found it. I totally agree with that. Rafiq, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Stephanie.
0: I'm excited that you're here. First of all, tell our listeners a little bit more about Sustainability Leadership and what you do.
1: Absolutely. Sustainability Leadership is a non social enterprise that started in Hamilton, Ontario. The organization was originally designed to help businesses communicate the great work that they were doing in a credible way. We have since expanded our services to provide a number of different services to businesses, such as measuring impacts, engaging with stakeholders and creating a strong corporate culture and community presence. We are your local business sustainability resource and not just local to Hamilton anymore. We are also providing services to businesses in the Halton, Niagara, Peel, Brant and Brantford areas.
0: That's amazing. And I mean, I've known you for a long time and worked with you for a long time. And now sustainability leadership has an awards program, too, which is really great.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, That's one of the greatest things that we get to do is work with businesses and try and figure out what it is that we can do to help them, whether it's taking a look at the low hanging fruit, like changing light bulbs or doing some community service but it's also about some of the bigger things like doing a study on transport trucks uh, and what that looks like in terms of GHGs or refurbishing equipment to make it more run more efficiently or just reducing overall impacts. Um, and we do this throughout the year with our members. But as you mentioned, we do have awards that we issue every year in June, which is really exciting. We get to showcase all of the great work that our members are doing throughout the year. Uh, so happy to happy to have people join us and get inspired by all of these great stories uh the event is uh june 1st uh most likely june 1st we're still confirming uh the date at this time but the sustainability leadership awards is very exciting time and we encourage everyone to come out and check it out
0: yeah it's it's always such an inspiring night to see what others are doing so we'll drop the link in the show notes when it's available So for us, sustainability leadership has always been the trusted external expert to us. Like we go to you as a resource. And so when we had this idea of we want to understand the GHGs between the different modes, that's why we turn to you because you're so great at that. And I basically, I want to break it down in terms of the different modes and have you explain the difference between rail versus transport and EV semi. First of all, when we came to you with this this project, was it something you'd considered before or was this sort of like new in a sense?
1: Great question. It's it's definitely something that's been top of my mind uh, and EVs in general have been a very big focus for, for you and I, Stephanie, because we we go back on EVs for, for a number of years now. <laughs> that we do. But in terms of the commercial side of things, it wasn't necessarily something that we had necessarily looked at. Um, we'd been looking at EVs as a fleet mechanism for for businesses, but not necessarily for transportation of goods. And so this gave us a really good opportunity to gain that insight and, and learn for ourselves. Um, and it's really interesting because there is so much out there to be able to create efficiencies, um, such as putting... Uh, I think, barriers or or uh, side rails on, on these trucks, these diesel trucks, to make them more efficient and slipstream. Um, but now we have EVs as an opportunity and potentially even hydrogen as well.
0: Yeah. So we'll get into more of that. Let's start with the first mode that we looked at. And remember, we're looking at the transportation of a full truckload of electronics or e-waste from Edmonton to Toronto. So rail was the first one that we looked at. So what were the considerations when you were calculating the emissions of using rail?
1: Yeah, one of the biggest things with rail is that um, we have one rail system. There's there's no crisscrossing. There's just one straight across Canada. Uh, and interestingly, not not everyone has access to the rail yard directly from their facility, and so you have to figure out how you're going to transport the the load to the rail yard, and then once it gets to the destination, from that rail yard to the the final destination, that last mile. So there's a number of different considerations that that come in. Is what is that route? What does it look like? And how far away is it from the the first and last mile uh, that destination? Uh, places like Europe are, are very, very interesting because they have crisscrossing networks all over the place. Uh, and I was looking it up. I was, I was trying to, to get a sense of the, the spans of the rail network. And it just, it's, it's like a spider web through, through Europe, which is amazing. And it makes it extremely accessible. In Canada, we have, we have the one rail that goes across Canada, which is fantastic that it's working and we've kept it alive. Um, But when you consider the distance that it's gone this in this particular scenario, Edmonton to Toronto, I was trying to see how far that would stretch through Europe. And if we were to go from Lisbon, the very west coast of of Europe, it would go all the way to Warsaw, Poland, which is all the way in Eastern Europe. So that is a huge span to cover. Uh, I think like six or seven different countries that it goes through to be able to get there just to match the same route that we would have to go through in Canada between Edmonton and Toronto.
0: Wow, that's incredible and puts it in perspective, really. And we know in Europe now, too, they are banning short haul flights, because they figure, you know, if it's two hours or less, people can use rail and the rail system is largely electric there. So what about here in Canada? How efficient? Is our rail system in terms of carbon emissions?
1: It's extremely efficient, which is great. Um, we we were calculating that distance uh, that it would take, and and in terms of emissions, it takes about one ton of emissions to to travel that distance. Think uh, almost three and a half thousand kilometers, um, which is incredible. And we'll we'll talk about uh, the the relation that is to to the diesel trucks in a bit, but the The most interesting part is that it can a, a rail a rail car can can transport thousands of tons of of material, and it makes it super efficient to have that one mode, that one source, carrying all of that, uh, and creating only one ton of emissions for a whole truckload.
0: Yeah, that's that's crazy, and we'll talk about the comparison of the different modes and what their emissions were at the end one other question about rail what about the time perspective like is it any more or less efficient in terms of time
1: that is a huge consideration there is uh because of the the weight of the train it takes a long time for it to pick up speed and once it picks up speed it's a little hard to slow down as well so when it makes those stops, every time it stops and starts, it, it takes quite a while. And, and sometimes they'll wait until the train is actually fully loaded before it leaves. Uh, so if there's a few cars missing or a few cars empty, it might wait for a load to, to before it leaves the station. So in general, the timing is, is a huge, huge cost factor. So we talk about financial costs, we talk about environmental costs, but there's also the time cost as well. And that is a huge factor when it comes to rail, that it's, it's probably the slowest mode of transportation. It's really efficient, but it takes a long time.
0: Yes. Well, everything has its pros and cons, I suppose. So so let's now look at the transportation, like transport trucks. What, it, what did you look at with that? Did you look at gas or diesel?
1: Our uh, initial uh, instinct was to go with diesel, and we were trying to try to make sure that we did our, our due diligence. And so we looked into the difference between gas and diesel, and between the two versions of transport trucks. What we found is that diesel trucks are actually ten to fifteen percent more energy efficient than a gasoline transport truck, and that's simply because of the amount of energy that's contained in a diesel. In uh, the diesel fuel when it's when it's combusted so we ended up looking at the diesel truck and and just kind of eliminated the gas truck and for the most part most most transport trucks on the road are are diesel trucks um, and so we've we we took a look at that our our next portion was to make sure that we were looking at the correct routing and we want to make sure that we were using the, the the shortest route possible which is basically through Canada Um, There is another route that is very similar in length, uh, and it's two hours shorter, but goes through the US. And one of the challenges that we came across when going through the US is that you have to go through customs going out into the US and then coming back. Um, And so we wanted to avoid that time delay, um, but also picking the shortest route. If it meant two hours longer, it may end up balancing out in the end. So our route that we chose was uh, strictly through Canada to avoid a lot of that, um, a lot of those hurdles.
0: Yeah, that makes sense, and I, I think most of our our trucking does come through Canada, not through the U.S. route. What about the carbon efficiency of these diesel fifty-three footers? How how carbon efficient, or maybe it's inefficient, are they?
1: yeah over time uh it's 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 gotten a lot better um these these uh diesel trucks have a number of different gears to try and make sure that they're pull, pulling the payload that they can but not necessarily using all the fuel that that they have uh, at the same time so it's a really interesting progression over time but uh what we found is that it seems to have plateaued over the last uh decade or two um the the major Innovations that have come across um, over time with the diesel trucks in the last decade are these additions, and you might see them on the highways now. These additions to make the, the trucks more aerodynamic. So you might notice that the, the hood goes up higher so that the wind goes straight up over the, the edge of the uh the, the trailer. Uh you might notice these uh side panels on the underneath the trailer between the, the axles uh to make it more aerodynamic. Or you might notice that the hubcaps on the actual trailer or or the truck itself are flat to reduce that drag. So it's just small minor tweaks now that are trying to make it more aerodynamic and more efficient in that way.
0: Mm, I don't think I've ever seen the the hubcaps. I'll look for that. But you're right. I've seen all the other additions to the truck to make it more aerodynamic. Finally, what about weather? How much do you think that weather impacts the trucking and therefore the carbon emissions that we might assume?
1: Absolutely, weather plays a huge, huge uh, impact, and, and not just weather. Um, so, for example, if it's if it's cold outside, you're running the heater in in the in the cabin, which then uses up a little bit more fuel. Um, what's interesting is that we don't necessarily notice the impact on fuel when it comes to running a heater or air conditioning, uh, and that's simply because the the fuel source itself is not very efficient. Um, gasoline is, is about 30% efficient. Uh, and diesel trucks are about 35% efficient in terms of that consumption of, of, uh, energy. Uh, so <laughs> we, we don't necessarily notice when it's rainy or when it's cold, when it's wet, um, or when it's windy, uh, so much as, as, uh, with other modes. Um, but what's really interesting is, is not just the weather. But the the grade, so the elevation that you're going up and down, that can have a huge, huge impact. Going down is extremely difficult for for heavy payloads, uh, especially if it's uh, below a certain grade. Um, In a lot of cases, you you might notice if you're driving across Canada in some of these uh, back routes that they have pull-off areas for trucks to, to try and slow themselves down if they're coming down too quickly. But going back up, you know, they have to, they have to try and maintain momentum and, and keep moving. Because if they stop and they have a heavy payload, they may not be able to have enough momentum or speed to, to pick back up. So there's, there's a lot of different factors that come into this, and all of it uses fuel. Going downhill, even though you're just riding the brake, the engine is still running and there's still being, fuel being consumed. So yes, absolutely, weather has an impact. Not as significant. But it's more so the elevation that that plays a huge factor.
0: That's fascinating. I don't think I've ever been more attuned to the weather having an impact before I drove an electric vehicle because then you see it directly, you see your range drop if the weather is really cold. And but you know, interestingly, we now have semis, electric semis that are starting to come online, which was not even a, a consideration, you know, a few years ago. But it's becoming a reality. And by electric semi, EV semi, I mean, for example, the Tesla semi is the, the most well-known one that's coming out. So Rafik, what do we know so far about EV semis?
1: Yeah, um, when we originally did this study, uh, it was still a, a, a huge unknown. Um, there were a lot of variables that were still in question, um, quite a few Uh, articles that came out where you couldn't tell if it was the official source or not. Um, A lot of rumors, basically. But interestingly, at the end of last year, end of 2022, Tesla actually delivered some semis to uh, Frito-Lays to to be able to deliver. Um, Sorry, Frito-Lays and Pepsi. I think it's all the same company now. Um, to be able to use as their transport trucks uh, around. So we have more information now, but it everything that we had done research on actually confirmed everything that we knew. So 300 miles or 482 kilometers is the smaller version of the model. But then there's also a larger one that does 500 miles or just under 800 kilometers. So to give you a, a sense of range, um, diesel trucks go anywhere from 600 to 800, maybe 900 kilometers of range on, on a tank of fuel. So it's very, very similar now in terms of capacity. And for the, for the smaller one, having a city hall within the cities makes it much more efficient. Um, Especially because you're, you're, you're stopping and starting quite frequently instead of starting up the engine and getting it warmed up and letting it running a little bit. You can just pick up and go, which is fantastic. Um, we, we, as I mentioned, there's, there's the first set out right now. I believe they're doing some studies as to what the, uh, what the actual range is like in a real world scenario. And so far it's lived up to expectations. Um, the biggest question now is again, we go back to that that time factor? What is the cost of time? Mm -hmm. How long does it take to charge? And that was one of the questions that we had as well in in doing some of this research is that we don't fully know what the capability of this vehicle is until we understand how it's used on a daily basis, how much it can uh, dispense and how much it can charge up. And based on the superchargers that are available right now, we could get about, uh, I believe it's 400 kilometers in, in about two hours on a on semi, um, which is extremely beneficial, extremely great. But there's now talk of a, a megawatt charger. Uh, I think that's what it's being called. Something that delivers not just 200 kilowatts of energy, not just 300 kilowatts of energy, but one megawatt of energy, which can hopefully recharge the battery in, in about an hour, if not less. So there is, there is a huge time factor that has generally been the case with, especially when you're comparing it to a, a, a fuel based engine of standing there and pumping for 10, 15 minutes compared to uh, an electric vehicle where you have to sit for 45 minutes to an hour to charge it up. And now expanding the battery and expanding the range and the weight and everything. It was a, it was a huge concern. Two to four hours to sit and wait for it to charge. That's, yeah. that's not reasonable. So now we're hearing. Absolutely. And so now we're hearing of these great efficiencies that are being implemented in terms of charging to make it more comparable to a diesel or gasoline powered vehicle.
0: Fascinating. And you've, you've talked about the time cost. What do we know so far about the actual cost of the EV semis?
1: We haven't quite figured out the cost just yet. I don't know if it's been released, um, but we don't necessarily have an idea. But we, if we understand correctly, it's meant to be very comparable to the cost of running, uh, purchasing, and running a diesel vehicle for five years, um, and that includes the charging over those five years as well. So it's a bit more upfront, but you're saving a huge amount on the actual cost of, of fuel because you're you're only recharging as opposed to pumping fuel.
0: Right. So it's it's similar in theory to electric passenger vehicles, by what it exactly. sounds like. More up front, but bigger savings over time. So as you were determining, so in theory, if we were to take this full truckload of electronics from Edmonton to Toronto, we're going to figure out what the emissions would be for that whole journey with an EV semi. What did you take into consideration? How did you map that out?
1: Yeah, uh, so one of the things that we needed to, to do was first have map out the route for the, the diesel vehicle. What route is it going to take and how can we make it as comparable as possible? The biggest challenge was trying to determine where these charging stations are uh, to make sure that there is A, enough of them along the way and B, how far away they were from the major route. So that way we're not necessarily spending too much time getting on the highway, getting off the highway, Um, And what we found is that there is a huge, and and this was one of the the considerations that we had in initially determining the route through Canada is, do we have enough charging stations along the way? And through the US, there are plenty to go through, uh, but ironically, within Canada, we now have enough to actually go two to three, maybe even 400 kilometers without a charging station. Um, or between charging stations, rather. And so when we were looking at the route, there was surely enough, uh, chargers along the way, along the same route that could take you all the way to the, the Toronto facility from Edmonton. So the availability of chargers, and especially with the range that, that's available, it, it, you might not even need the full range in the end. Um, I think we were calculating the, the greatest distance that you had to go between chargers was about 450 kilometers. Um, and what that means is that you spend less time at the charging station itself as well. Even if it's a fast charger, you may only need to charge up for maybe 10, 15 minutes before you can go and make it to the next charger. And what what we found is that um, the lower the state of charge on, on a vehicle, the quicker it's able to charge up. And I love to give the analogy of um, pouring a glass of water. If you have a giant pitcher of water, and you're trying to pour it into, into an empty glass, what you normally do is you pour it, trying quickly, kind of quickly to, to fill it up, but then you ease up at the end so that it doesn't overflow. And very similarly, that's how batteries tend to charge is that they fill up really quickly in the beginning, but then ease up towards the end so that it doesn't overflow. And so when when, we, when we're when we charging up, we want to be at a lower state of charge and so, um, so that we can get the quicker speeds and get back on the road faster. And these The distance between these uh, charging stations makes it extremely viable to to have a lower state of charge and be able to make it in between without having to make a long stretch or even to to, uh, have to sit for an hour in between. Now one of the other things that we also looked at is is the fact that truck drivers need to be taking a, a break after a certain number of operating hours. Um, and these frequent breaks are actually safer by studies that, that have been done in the U.S. and Canada. Uh, safer to take a break every three to four hours. And, and the recommendation is actually every two to three hours on longer trips. But these truckers are professional drivers. That's what they do. And so they're probably used to being on the road for a number of hours at a time. But these frequent charging stations, um, frequent breaks, allow them to break up the journey and feel more refreshed. Um, and the the studies have come back that these shorter breaks are actually much more beneficial long-term for a driver, not only just for that trip, but for the longevity of that driver without having to take breaks, um, take vacation time and and sick time in between.
0: Wow. So it's actually a safer option when you put it that way. Wow. Yeah. Now, in terms of the actual emissions, the trucks themselves don't produce any carbon emissions. But it's the the power that they are recharging at, that's where we factor in the emissions. So tell us about how you map that out and what was the different factors that went into calculating those emissions?
1: Yeah, it was was really interesting to to kind of try and map this out because in Alberta and Saskatchewan, the, the energy production for electricity... Uh, comes from fossil fuels, and so it's not quite as clean as what we have here in Ontario. And so, mapping out where these charging stations are, we want to find the most efficient route, but also to try and figure out if we were to fill up if we were to fill up at this particular station, what would it look like versus maybe making that extra little distance into another province to get the lower emission factor. Um, and what we found is that in Saskatchewan, Alberta, um, the, it's it's one of the highest emission emitting sources of uh, electricity, but in Manitoba it's so clean, um, and we were trying to figure out, you know, can we charge more in Manitoba, uh, so that we can reduce our emissions? Um, but ironically, there was only one stop necessary in Manitoba, and we continued on to Ontario. And Ontario, we're very fortunate to have a significant, uh, significantly low emissions um, when it comes to electricity not as low as Manitoba, but maybe one day we can get there in the near future. Yes. Uh, so in terms of in terms of electricity consumption, that's where the emissions come from when you're charging at these stations.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm sure people are wondering what were the results of this case study between rail versus transport truck versus EV semi?
1: Yeah, it was a really interesting study and uh, I loved the fact that we got to, we got to do this study. It was, it was great. What we compared was not just rail um, and and as I mentioned earlier, we had to factor in the the transport of that material to the rail yard, so there was a bit a bit of diesel truck there. So we did the diesel truck and rail combination. We did a uh, a diesel only route. And then we did two EV routes. We did one with the 500, uh, kilometer, uh, 500 mile version and one with the 300 mile version. And so it was really interesting to come across these results when, when we were looking at it. We were quite surprised that we had such distinct, uh, results. Um, and it's fascinating to see. So to start off, uh, the diesel power truck, if we went from Edmonton to Toronto, the emissions that were created from that one one route is 10.8 tons of emissions so quite a heavy amount when you take a look at the rail and diesel combination it drops to 1.24 tons so a tenth of that emissions and this is where it kind of gets interesting when we're looking at the 300 mile versus the 500 mile semi electric truck so the 300 mile Ended up being 1.03 tons, so it's still even less. And the 500 mile ended up being 1.07 tons of CO2 emissions. So the 300 mile actually ended up being more uh, energy, I guess, intensive <laughs> um, or emissions, uh, lower emissions um, than the 500 mile, and that was that was mostly because. You didn't, have to sh- you didn't have to recharge quite as much in some of these other areas. So we were able to skip um, one of the charging stations with the 500 mile uh, versus the, the 300 mile. We had to add on an extra charger, but that extra charger ended up being a low emissions charger. And so it ended up being more uh, emissions friendly uh, in the end.
0: Yeah, that really surprised me that the 300-mile version was the most efficient out of all of them. The other thing that just really blew me away was that rail was not far behind the EV semis. So 1.24 to uh, 1.03, 1.07. So really, rail, which is something that we have today, if we can do anything more by rail, it surely will save us. Because remember... That's like about a tenth of the emissions of the transport truck. Did that surprise you too?
1: Yeah, I didn't realize it would be a tenth of the emissions. I I thought it would be a little bit higher, but it is extremely efficient and and very, very effective.
0: Yeah, and knowing that these EV semis will cost, I mean, six figures, whatever that will be, it just really to me tells tells us that we should prioritize rail. Did you get any other findings from it, any other lessons learned out of all this?
1: I mean, there was, there was so much that we gained from this. Uh, the fact that there is a lot of potential out there for EVs on the road uh, and that the infrastructure is coming, um, that the technology that we have, the, the solutions that we have are already available. We don't necessarily need to invent something new. Um, yes, there are some coming down the pipeline, but absolutely we have what we need right now to be able to reduce our emissions.
0: Yeah, and
1: significantly.
0: Absolutely. And significantly, right? And as as we grapple with these scope three supply chain emissions, like we have solutions right now. So to summarize this, what would be one piece of advice that you would give to business managers or business leaders on what they can do, like an action they can take to, to make a difference for their company?
1: Step one, you can only measure what you manage. You can only manage what you know. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I think that's how it goes. You can only manage what you measure. And so step one is to really just measure what you're doing. Because once you figure out where your emissions are coming from and what, what sources are contributing to it, you can then begin to actually reduce your emissions. And there's a lot of low hanging fruit, a lot of really easy wins that you can find. Um, but most importantly is to, is to start somewhere. And that's with, with measuring. And we're here to help. Sustainability leadership is your go to local resource for that. Uh, we provide that resource. We provide that support and direction. To really help you understand where your emissions are coming from, what you can do to reduce them, and how you can benefit the organization, your community, and the economy all at the same time.
0: Yeah, Rafik, how do people get in touch with you?
1: Brilliant. Visit us on our website, sustainabilityleadership.ca.
0: Okay. And highly recommend Sustainability Leadership. You guys have been such a, a wonderful resource for us, so thank you. And thank you for being here our today.
1: Our My pleasure. That- thank you so much, Stephanie
0: yeah absolutely that was such that was fascinating really to look at the different modes I, I hope you learned something new as well out of this conversation join us in our next episode and remember to head on over to quantumlifecycle.com podcast or follow us on apple spotify or wherever you get your podcast from this is a quantum Lifecycle podcast and the producers are Trivedi and faiza govani have an amazing day we'll see you next time